Good morning. Next time I preach, we don't need to do really good songs, otherwise I won't have a voice. I'm just singing so loud. I love, 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 love the songs we sing together. If you will, please go ahead and open your Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. That is where we will be this morning in the Word of God. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And we will be looking at verses 13 through 18. The Word of God reads... Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let us once more go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness toward us, Lord, sinners. You are a God that is full of compassion, grace, and mercy. And you are also a just God. You are a wrathful God. And you will no wise leave the guilty unpunished. But our escape is through your dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for that, Lord. And as we look into your word now, I pray that I would just be a mouthpiece for the text, that they would be your words, not mine. And that you would do what only you can do, and that is teach us what your word says and show us how we ought to live. We ask this in the name of your dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, we are going to be talking about biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom. And before we dig into verses 13 through 18, I just want to give you a little overview of the book of James. The book of James was written none other by James, the half-brother of our Lord. And specifically, James wrote this little book to Jewish believers. That's what he says in verse 1 of chapter one of James to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. James is writing to Jewish brothers. This is one of the earliest, if not the first, many have said, of the books of the New Testament. I was canonized. And in this book, 
James tells us through many different tests how we ought to live as Christians in this world. The book of James is not so much theological as it is practical, how we are to live. And the whole premise of James is, is this. It's sort of like First John in that if you are a true believer in Christ, if you have come to Christ in repentance and faith, then these characteristics will be true of your life. If you are a true believer, these things should be evident in your life. And there are several tests, several Christian virtues, James says, that we should have if indeed we are true believers. There's the test of perseverance, number one. There is, number two, the test of temptation, what you do when you are tempted, rather what you blame when you are tempted. There is, thirdly, the sin of impartial love towards others. There's four, the test of true faith and the role of works in the believer's life. Number five, there is the test of truthfulness. Six, there is the test of prayer. Seven is the test of the tongue. If you're a believer, your speech should be different than that of the world. That's what he covers in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And where we find ourselves now is the test of wisdom. Verses 13 through 18. Biblical wisdom. It is a lost virtue. It is a dying virtue. And today I I want to be helpful to all of you. I want to be encouraging. I want to honor Christ. I want to show you what the Word of God has to say about biblical wisdom but first let us define wisdom wisdom can be defined as this the quality of having or showing experience knowledge or judgment in anything it is the quality of having or showing experience knowledge or judgment in a specific theme and here in james chapter 3 verses 13 through 18 We see four realities of biblical wisdom. If you're taking notes, we see four realities of biblical wisdom. Number one, we see the proof of biblical wisdom. Number two, we see what biblical wisdom is not. Number three, we see what biblical wisdom is. And then number four, we see the fruit of biblical wisdom. But first, let us talk about the proof. Of biblical wisdom. Verse 13, James says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. The use of the word wisdom here is not only something of of the mind. And that's typically what you hear a lot about wisdom. Wisdom is whittled down to it's, it's something of the mind. It's just you're, you're wise about something. You know a lot about something. But here, the way James is using the word, it is more than just the intellect. Remember, as I said earlier, James is writing to Jewish believers. 
in Jewish thought, wisdom was more so what you did with knowledge. It wasn't just the fact I have knowledge, I have wisdom on a certain subject, but more so wisdom was what you did with that said knowledge. What you did with what you know. So yes, it took the intellect, but it didn't stop there. It it, it was uh, applicatory. I have this knowledge. So now I'm going to apply it in my life. I'm going to do something with it. And James opens up with a question. It's an honest question. He's really asking, who among you is wise and understanding? Who among us here is wise? How do you know you're wise? How do you know that you're displaying biblical wisdom? The one who is wise, truly wise, who truly attains biblical wisdom will show it by their life. If you want to know who is truly wise, examine their life. How do they live? Before James can even get to what biblical wisdom is not, before he can even consider what biblical wisdom is, he establishes from the start that the proof of biblical wisdom, should you have it, is found in the conduct of your life. You're either biblically wise or you're not. It's not both and, it's either or. You're either biblically wise or you're not. And you can discern whether or not you are by the way you live every day. The choices you make. You're either, as one commentator put it, displaying biblical heavenly wisdom or worldly hellish wisdom. And you need to hear this. I need to hear this. Depending on what kind of wisdom you show, the life you live will determine your, your spiritual condition. It will determine whether or not you truly know Christ. And the way you know is by your life. Is my life changed? How am I living? James does not open up and say, who among you is wise? Let him show by how much doctrine he knows. Who among you is wise? Let him show all the reformed books he reads. Who among you is wise? Let him show by all the, all the sermons he listens to. Who among you is wise? Let him show by how well he can explain the doctrines of grace. We need those things. I'm not knocking those things. I'm not knocking good reformed books. I'm not knocking good God-honoring, Christ-exalting, expository sermons. I'm not knocking good doctrine. We need that stuff. But those things in of themselves do not make you wise. It is how you apply those things. Again, the word used here by James has an applicatory meaning to it. So what you know doctrine, how do you apply it to your life? How has it changed your life? Is your life any different than what it was? You can know all the sound doctrine in the world. And still be far away from Christ as the God-rejecting atheist. How do I know that? A per- perfect example is Judas Iscariot. Right? 
Judas walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He was taught by Christ himself. He ate with Jesus. He slept next to Jesus. He dined with Jesus. But his life wasn't changed. Judas knew the best doctrine ever. He was taught by the one who created it, who embodies it, the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet he was far away from him. You see, you can, you can know, you can have a lot of knowledge, but how do you apply it? How has, how has your life been changed? We just started our men's Bible study. And Pastor Brian, we've been talking about this for weeks, and this is huge to me since I've just started out in ministry. But Paul writes to Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. And now, now you all know Timothy, but let me remind you, he's a young pastor. And Paul is writing to him. And you would think, or at least I would think, because my mind has fallen, that Paul would write to him and say, make sure your doctrine is, is straight. Make sure it's correct. Make sure your, your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. But what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Timothy, watch your life, then your doctrine. You think it would be opposite, but, but, but it's not. He doesn't say, watch your doctrine, make sure you got that, and then your life. No, he says, watch your life. Timothy, how do you live? Is the life you live, are the choices you make day in and day out worthy of Christ? Because if they're not, doctrine means nothing. doesn't matter what you know. How has it changed you? Watch your life and then your doctrine. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. The wisdom, should you possess it, should be evident by the life you live, by the deeds that you do, your works. Now hear me. Works do not save you. They do nothing. Your works do not save you, but they are a fruit of a transformed life. And that's the argument that James makes earlier. If you want to turn back to James chapter 2, James 2, and verses 14 through 20, he makes that argument. He says, What use is it, brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. That's some good doctrine, right? He says, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Verse 20, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Where there is true saving faith, there will be the fruit of good works. Your life will display that change. It's inevitable. It's not that you caused it, God caused it. It's the causal love that Brian has been talking about in John 3. He doesn't save you and leave you how you are. You live a changed, transformed life. That's what the whole point of James is. 
Where there is true saving faith, these virtues will be evident in your life. Where there is true saving faith, there will be wisdom in the life you live by the things you do. And he says in verse 13 that it is done in the gentleness of wisdom. It's not done in arrogance. Look at me. Look at how spiritual I am. Look at all the good works I do. It's not done in a showy fashion in a boastful fashion. It is done in the gentleness of wisdom. The word used here could also it could also be translated a meekness, humility, humbleness. It is done in the humbleness. It is done in 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 the meekness of wisdom. And here it's it's you know Americanized Christianity, if you will. Meekness, humbleness, gentleness equals weakness. But that's not the case here. That's not what this word conveys. For these things to be done without arrogance and done in meekness, humility, gentleness. Here it connotates something of of, of great power under control. You're not living an unrestrained life. I have all this grace. I'm just going to live however I want. No, your, your life is in control. When I worked... In the oil field, we had all these huge metal containers. You know, I don't don't know what they're called. But this guy brought in a crane. Our boss had this guy. He brought in a crane, a huge, gigantic crane that had to, like, mount itself on the ground. And I I, I was watching him. I was so interested. I'm like, man, this this giant machine is moving all these containers, you know, just by the power of 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 a little stick. Such great power under control. I mean, that's, that's the life we live. We are, we are under the control of you. Are you under the control of yourself, though? Is that what James is saying here? No. You're under the control of God because he's saved you, and now you're living a life that is under his control. This is the life you ought to be living humbly, gently. And it all starts with salvation, Not only is the life you should be living be humble and gentle, but you are saved humbled and gentle. Yes, this scripture here in James, so many striking parallels to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you want to turn there real quick, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. It's the same word as meekness. It's the same idea that James is conveying in chapter 5. The life you live is done in meekness, gentleness. No one came to Christ on their own. No one was saved by anything they did. You didn't bring yourself to Christ. Christ brought you to Him. He saved you. You were humbled in salvation because you cannot bring anything to Christ when you're saved. You come nothing. You come with nothing. It's the same idea here. 
Verse 2, blessed are the poor in spirit. Excuse me, verse 3. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. It's the exact same thing James is talking about. You're saved humbly, and now the life you live is humble and gentle. You are saved in gentleness. Now the life you live is in gentleness, not in arrogance. It's the same idea. Go back to James. James 4. Excuse me. James 3. Those whose... Excuse me. So that is the proof of biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is shown not exactly by what you know, but how that has changed your life. Does the life you live hold up to what you preach, what you say you believe? Now look at verse 14. But, he says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie Against the truth. Now we get to the second reality of biblical wisdom what it isn't. It is not what he describes in verses 14 through 16 bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in the heart. Those whose lives are marked by bitter jealousy, the word here for bitter is, comes from the Greek word pikros. It means sharp, pointed, jealousy, selfish ambition. If your life is marked by that, then you're not living wisely. Why do you do what you do? Why do you make the decisions you make on a daily basis? Are they done out of bitter jealousy? Are they done out of selfish ambition? Everything in your life is about you. James then further describes what this wisdom looks like, worldly wisdom. He says this wisdom, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, where everything is about you, is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Verse 15 says this wisdom, it's, it's not from God. It's earthly. That means it is of the world. And I said it last time I preached, we looked a little bit at First John, but friendship with the world is hostility towards God. You cannot be a Christian and be worldly. It's impossible incompatible with the Christian life. It is natural. Natural to who? People who are are, are dead in their sins. It's our default position. It's who we all were before Christ. And it is demonic. Is, Is this the wisdom that characterizes your life? Worldliness? Jealousy? Selfish ambition? It's not from God. Where does this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition come from? He tells us in verse 
14, in your heart. It comes from you. In other words, the problem isn't your circumstances, that the problem isn't things that have been done to you, though you may have been wrong. The problem is you, if this is what characterizes your life. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. It's from the heart. It's from you. Where bitter jealousy and selfish ambition exist, James says in verse 16, there is disorder and every evil thing. Every evil thing. If this is what characterizes your life, if you do not possess godly wisdom, then you possess earthly, natural, demonic, worldly wisdom. And it, and it can't hide because what is in the heart will com- eventually come out in one's conduct, yes? What is in your heart will show up in the way you live. There is disorder, James says, and every evil thing, a heart that is filled with wisdom that is earthly, natural, demonic, will show up one way or another. And if I may just lovingly tell you that if, if, if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, this is, this is what characterizes my life. If this is what is in your heart, then it may be safe to say that you're not a true believer. You're not a true believer. You're a walking lie. That's what James says. Look back at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, he says, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. What truth? The truth that you may not know Christ. The truth that you do not possess godly wisdom because everything in your life shows differently. It doesn't matter what you say. But does your life show one that has been transformed by Christ? Is this what characterizes your life? I know all of you here in church. And I love the you that's you in church. The you that comes up and shakes my hand, gives me coffee. The you that, you know, grabs donuts and has conversations with people. But I I don't know you outside of church. Bosses. What do your coworkers see on a on a weekly basis? Coworkers, who are you around your your fellow coworkers? Who are you around your boss? Parents, who are you outside of church towards your children? Parents, who are you towards each other? Moms, dads, what kind of life are you living outside of church? Do you display the biblical wisdom? that we're going to see here in a second? Or is the life you live characterized by worldly wisdom, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy? Is it worldly? Is it natural? Is it demonic? I know all of you here. I don't know all of you outside of here that much. But now we're going to get real personal. Who are you when no one's watching? Does the life you live when no one watches characterize a a Christian life? 
what do you do when your boss isn't around? How do you live when your boss isn't around? How do you live when your wife is not around? How do you live when your husband isn't around? Does your life, on all fronts, seen and unseen, characterize one who has biblical wisdom? Do not lie to yourself and be arrogant against the truth. So what is biblical wisdom? That's what biblical wisdom isn't. Biblical wisdom is not worldly. It is not natural. It is not demonic. It is not bitterly jealous. It is not selfishly ambitious. What then is biblical wisdom? Everything opposite of what the word just described. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure. So whereas when you were outside of Christ and all your motives were impure, the only way you could live was selfishly ambitious and bitterly jealous, earthly, natural, and demonic. Now that you have Christ, now that you are walking in godly wisdom, your motives are first pure. That means it's unadulterated, without blemish. Your motives are, they. you don't live the way you live now for you to satisfy you, but to glorify Christ. That's pure motives. Whereas your motives were impure, When you were outside of Christ, those of you here that are now in Christ, you have pure motives. That is the wisdom that is from above. It is first pure. The life you now live is done with purity, not to fulfill your own desires, but to please the Lord and to walk the way he walked. That's what we're called to do. First John Chapter 2, verse 6, you don't have to turn there, but just listen. The Apostle John tells us, the one who says he abides in him, that is Christ, ought himself to walk in the same manner in which he walked. It's not so much what you say. You can, walk the, you can talk the talk, right? Anybody can talk, Christianese. But do you walk the walk? Do you walk the same way Christ walked? How did Christ walk wisely and he did it perfectly everything listed in verse 17 Christ did perfectly he was pure peaceable gentle reasonable full of mercy and good fruits unwavering and without hypocrisy that is how we are to live That is how we are to live. And the only way you can live wisely displaying these characteristics laid out in verse 17 is if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot live, verse 17, out on your own. If it were up to us, if it were up to me, we'd all be stuck in verses 14 through 16. Worldly wisdom. But if you are in Christ, you should be displaying the characteristics in verse 17. That is why James says, 
that this wisdom is from above. It comes from the Greek word anothen. It means from God. That it is divine wisdom. It's the same thing that our Lord Christ is talking about to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, you must be born again from above. Your salvation is not of you. It's of God's work in you. And just as our salvation is all of Christ, it is all Him, so is the life you live. It's anothen. It's from above. It's divine. It's not from you. It can only be accomplished by Christ in you. It is wisdom from above. So any time you display the characteristics laid out in verse 17, be encouraged, brother and sister. It is Christ's work in you. There is no way that work could ever have come from you. It is only through Christ and His grace and His mercy is Christ working this way in you. Ask yourself, test yourself, evaluate your heart, Hold your life up to the word of God and see where you stand. Is this the way you live? Are the decisions you make day in and day out pure? Are they peaceable? Are they gentle? Reasonable? Is the life you live full of mercy? Displaying good fruit? Is it unwavering? Is it without hypocrisy? This is a hard test, isn't it? It's a tall order. You may be wrestling in your heart, saying, well, you know, I don't know, I see, I know, I know, I I mess up, but I also see some good things. Well, let me ask you a, a different way. Would Christ live the same way you live if he were to be in your shoes? Would Christ make the same decisions you make? on a daily basis? And the answer for all of us is no. He wouldn't. That's how utterly sinful we are. And He is totally and completely perfect. I don't know about you, but verse 17, knowing that this is what our lives should be displaying, really makes me stop and think about the way I live. Am I pure? Am I peaceable? The life I live, unwavering, full of good fruits, gentle, without hypocrisy. Verse 17, folks, is is nothing short of perfection. None of us in here are anywhere towards perfection, right? I know we're not Baptists, but that could get an amen. (laughs) none of us are perfect but this is what God requires but thanks be to God that what God requires he has provided through his son the Lord Jesus Christ that is why Christ is everything what God has required which is perfection He has provided through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that by repentance and faith in Christ, 
Christ's righteousness is credited to your account. And by Him who now works in us, you can live up to this standard. By accepting Christ and His work, having it credited to your account, these traits can be displayed and made evident in your life by the way you live. Not perfection, but that is the consistent direction of my life. Has your life been changed in that way? Have you come to Christ? Is your life continually bitterly jealous, selfishly ambition? You do what you do for you. Is the life you live, are the decisions you make guided by earthly, natural, demonic wisdom? Or has your life been so changed by Christ and His goodness and mercy that now your motives are pure? Peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Is that what characterizes your life? Because that's what biblical wisdom is. And if we claim to know Christ, if he has so changed us, this is what should mark our lives, brothers and sisters. Everything in verse 17. And then fourthly, We see the fruit of biblical wisdom. We've seen the proof of biblical wisdom, that is one's life, how they live. Number two, we've seen what biblical wisdom isn't. Third, we saw what biblical wisdom is in verse 17. And now fourthly and finally, we see the fruit of biblical wisdom. Verse 18, in the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In the Greek, this is a, it really is a a difficult verse to translate. But the idea that James is conveying here is that if you have godly wisdom, which is the seed, Right? If you have godly wisdom in your life, which is the seed, the fruit will be righteous living. Right? He laid that out in verses 13. Let him show by his works, by his deeds, the life he lives on a daily basis. So if you have that godly wisdom, that seed implanted in you, then it will show up in your life. But it will also show up in the peace you have in your life. So do you have peace? Can you truly sing those words we just sang? It is well with my soul. Do you know Christ? Is there peace within you? Do you know for certain that you have peace with God? Where there is godly wisdom in one's life, godly living righteousness is produced and then peace is produced. It's a cycle. It's the idea here that James is getting at. Do you have peace? Is it well with your soul? You may be wrestling and thinking, well, you know, I do show some good traits sometimes, but I'm also a sinner, but I also have no peace. I don't have any peace. Well, then do you know Christ? Do you truly know him? Does godly wisdom Righteous living characterize your life because Christ has 
so radically changed you. And that's the only way he changes people is radically, miraculously. He doesn't change you a little bit, you know. No. The life you live, should you be in Christ, is a transformed one. It's now completely different. Is this what characterizes your life? Or excuse me, which one characterizes your life? Verses 14 through 16 or verses 17 through 18? Because it's one or the other. It's not both and. And you may say, Corey, I I, I still sin. Welcome to the club. We all still sin. We are nowhere near perfection. But for those who are in Christ... First John 1 John 1.9, he says we have an advocate with the Father. And when we come to Christ and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to put us on the, back on the path of verse 17. But if you are not in Christ this morning, you do not have an advocate. You are stuck in verses 14 through 16. The only escape is Christ. The only way out, the only way to live righteously and display biblical wisdom and the way you live is through Christ, by coming to Him. That's where biblical wisdom starts. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? All wisdom. Fearing God. Knowing Him. Biblical wisdom starts with this. The words of our Lord in Mark 1.15. Repent and believe in the gospel. Have you come to Christ? Have you come to Christ? If you have not, I implore you, I entreat you, I beg you. Come to Christ. Do not be stuck In verses 14 through 16, come to Christ. Cast yourself on the mercy of Christ and he will save you. That's the promise he has given to us, John 6.37. Jesus says, my sheep know me and they hear my voice. And those who come to me, I will not cast out. That is the promise we have in Christ. And by coming to him in faith, And in repentance, you can be put on the path of verses 17 and 18, righteous living, godly living, and have peace in your heart. Which one do you display? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Ask that you would do, uh, continue to do a mighty work in us for those here that know you father that you would assure us of the advocate we have through your son that when we come and confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us father i ask for all of us in here that we would live wisely and display the the biblical wisdom that is laid out here in verse 17 for those in here who don't know you lord i ask that you would draw them to yourself that you would save them this very day, all for your honor and glory. And it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.